when students fail to live up to that checklist, they, they chuck their face. Um, they feel like, I'm, I'm not doing the do's, I'm not avoiding the don'ts, and so, you know, my faith no longer has relevance. And so they run from God and God's grace just when they need God and God's grace the most. Yeah, we're with Kara Powell today, and we are really thrilled and excited. She has been a person for me I've followed from afar and really admired her work with students and with the church, and we are just excited to have her here with us today. I'm Jeff Eckert. I'm Jason Brewer. And this is The Thought Factory. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, cultivating students through biblical discipleship and spiritual disciplines using theology, community, and technology. Learn more at neverthesame.org. Hey, Dan Seaborn here from Winning at Home. I've had the privilege of being friends with Jeff and Jason. Uh, Jeff, known as youth pastor comrade for many years, Jason effectively uh, made a difference in my daughter's life. Let me just say something. This thing they developed, the NTS camps, never the same. I believe that statement's so true. These guys are pouring their heart and soul into make a difference in the lives of teens and effectively in the lives of parents as well. And I want to encourage you, I endorse them fully, get your kids to these camps because if they go there, they won't be the same. They will come home with a different attitude, different spirit. Everything you're looking for, that's what they're going to come home with. And so I challenge you as a parent, I challenge you even as a teen, consider it because I believe this will make a mark for the kingdom and a mark in your life. Check it out. I highly encourage you to pursue this because I believe it will be effective in furthering the walk of your family with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thanks for joining us today on this episode of Thought Factory, and we are going into a new three-parter on the question of our students leaving the church. And if you listen to last episode, Jason and I talked about some of the research that we've just recently learned that's very, very fresh with students about their loyalties to their youth group, to their church, and it was very eye-opening to talk about that. And then, Jason, where are we going for the next episode? Next episode, we are talking to Darren Campbell, who is a pastor of a church in Indiana, and his insight on leveraging the next generation and handing off a lot of leadership to the amateurs. And Darren's going to give us some great, very, very practical insight into exactly how to do that. How do we engage students within the entire congregation? Because as we're finding in a lot of research, as we're talking about that today, is that when that begins to happen, students aren't leaving the church, and we know that. So next episode will be great, and pretty much throughout the entire time is going to be very practical in terms of how exactly can we do that as we're working with students. This is Kara. Hello, Kara. This is Jason Brewer from Never the Same. How are you? Hey, Jason. How are you doing? Doing good. I'm here with Jeff Eckert. Hi, Kara. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Good. Well, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for your time, Kara. Thanks for all you do, too. I love the book. I've been pushing the book big time. I think it's the best resource that I've seen. I'm sure you hear that a lot, too, but it really is just, I can't say enough about it. It's really well done, and it. what I love about it is that it helps youth workers speak the language to their senior leadership, but I think it really speaks directly to senior leadership as well. That's why I really love it. Mm, well, thank you. Thank you very much. That's that's very kind. Um, that is our hope and prayer, so I'm, I'm glad that you're perceiving that. So. Yeah, good, good. 
And I have read it as well. Just so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. good. Awesome. <laughs> and I thought it was very enlightening. And it's for us coming from former youth pastors and, you know, we're a national youth ministry, but we're not in the church as as much as what we were. It's kind of unfortunate for me to go, oh man, I wish I had known some of this stuff mm. even five years ago. I mean, you still sense it, but you, sure. how do you put words and language and, and arms and feet to it? That's what we're trying to do with this podcast and this interview is, is give youth leaders uh, very practical takeaways. Love it. Love it. And I assume that since this isn't live, that if, if I say something and totally bungle it, that I can start over, that there's the ability to do some editing. Oh, we're on the air right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You are totally right about that. We are. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, what? No, she was super quiet. That was good. That was a good one. <laughs> All right. We're with Kara. Totally. Yeah, we're with Kara Powell today, and we are really thrilled and excited. She has been a person for me I've followed from afar and really admired her work with students and with the church, and we are just excited to have her here with us today. Right, Jason? I'm so excited to have Kara Powell. And so I want to start off our interview with the, the question that is just resonating in probably everybody's minds in the audience is, um, how did you get the job at Holy Cross as the assistant coach of the women's basketball team? Well, that's funny you ask because I didn't know I had that job. Um, no, I, I am tall. I'm six foot tall, but I know I'm actually not a basketball coach. Jason, oh, what are you talking about? The Kara Powell, the assistant basketball coach of the women's basketball team at Holy Cross what, did is you Kara just Powell. Did you do a random Kara Powell search? And that's the only way I know how to in, <laughs> research any interviewee. Oh, wow. This is amazing. You are really thorough. You vet well. This is yeah, impressive. Yeah, knowing that you're at least six foot tall, I I just assumed that you, you were a you, basketball coach. You know more about Kara Powell than Kara Powell knows about Kara Right. Powell. She That's doesn't true. even know that I she's do. received the job yet. No, the Kara Powell we're talking about, Jason, is from the Fuller Youth Institute. Okay, Okay. so let me write that down. FYI, just so you know. <laughs> That's a good... And so, Kara, talk to us a little bit. Forget everything that Jason just said, and let's talk about what you've been doing in previous years to lead up to what we're going to talk about today. And tell us a little bit about Sticky Faith. Yeah, I would love to. So I'm a faculty member at Fuller Seminary, but really my main job is I get to work with the amazing team at the Fuller Youth Institute. And we at the Fuller Youth Institute, we believe in young people and we believe in the church and we want to uh, help identify the toughest questions of parents and leaders, and then develop research-based proven answers to those questions um, so that young people will develop a faith that lasts and that grows with them. So really, um, you know, in a nutshell, we turn research into resources that equip young people with the faith they need. And um, one of our first projects emerged because we were hearing data about how one in two youth group graduates from great churches, like represented by your listeners, one in two youth group graduates drift from God and the church after they graduate from high school. And as a mom and a leader and a follower of Jesus, I'm not satisfied with that. Our team isn't satisfied with that. I'm guessing your, your listeners are not satisfied with that. And so we studied over 500 youth group graduates to try to figure out what helps them have faith at last, or what we call sticky faith. Um, and so that was multiple years of research, and, and we developed many books. 
um, for leaders, for parents, curriculum, et cetera. Uh, and, and so, but then as we were praying about our research project after that, I, I was sitting on a blue couch in my living room and I was just kind of journaling, God, what do you have next for us? And I felt like the Spirit said, not audibly, but I felt uh, as I was journaling, what I wrote was, you studied amazing young people, now it's time to study amazing churches. So that led us, you know, moving from studying young people and their families from Sticky Faith, that now we study entire churches. Well, we are currently in a series on the topic of our students leaving the church, just asking that question for our our listeners, the youth leaders, the youth pastors, parents even, and you mentioned one and two leave the faith. And so we hear that young people are leaving the church and Christianity just significantly. And so what have you learned from your research that would make the difference? In terms of young people leaving the faith in particular? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I'll tell you, our research on sticky faith, it sure has changed my view of faith and my view of parenting, my view of the church. Um, And so, you know, just a couple highlights of of what we've learned is that a lot of young people view the gospel as a list of do's and don'ts, what Dallas Willard would call the gospel of sin management. Um, And so, you know, they, they think it's kind of this behavioral checklist. And when they do all the right things and avoid all the wrong things, then somehow God loves them more, likes them more, and they can feel better about themselves. Um, Well, there's a lot of problems with that version of faith, but one of which is when students fail to live up to that checklist, and note I said when, not if, when students fail to live up to that checklist, they they chuck their faith. Um, They feel like, "I'm, I'm not doing the do's, I'm not avoiding the don'ts, and so, you know, my faith no longer has relevance. And so they run from God and God's grace just when they need God and God's grace the most. And so really one of, one of our major tent poles with Sticky Faith is we have to reclaim what faith really is, that it's not a behavioral checklist, but it really is a grace-filled relationship with the Emmanuel God, who, you know, just like the, in the parable of the prodigal son, who's, who's waiting and runs toward us as we turn and make our way back to God. Key to Sticky Faith is really reframing faith. And and reoriented around grace, not works and behaviors. One of the things that is incredible about who you are and your work individually and with Fuller is your focus on students and young people. And that's something obviously here at Never the Same that we feel exactly the same way. Tell us about why you feel like you're personally passionate about that area and why do you think yeah. it matters to do the work that we're talking about here to, to do with students? It's a divine calling. I, I drive by a middle school. I drive by a high school. I drive by a college. And I just want to stop and talk to the students. I can't help but, you know, keep glancing at them as I'm driving by, um, wondering how they're doing, what they're talking about, how their relationships are. Uh, when I sit in an airplane and I usually get a window seat because I like to sleep, leave to get to the side <laughs> of the plane. Um, and when I look out a window and when I see buildings, I think about the young people who are in those buildings. So, you know, really at my core, I'm just, that's, that's who I'm burdened for. That's who I cry over. That's who I pray for, um, is young people. And, you know, I, I have a bias that the best way to change any country, including the United States, the best way to change any country is through, uh, the church. And I have another bias that the best way to change the church and to help the church reach its potential 
is for young people to be a catalyst of um, of even more exciting ministry and evangelism and discipleship. So, you know, I, I just personally have this burden for young people, and then I also feel like young people are the can be often are the tip of the arrow. Uh, for the change that God wants to bring in and through the church. Absolutely. Love that answer. Thank Slam you so dunk. much. Yes, that's incredible. That was a basketball reference because she's a basketball coach. Oh, good. Thank you, Jason. There we go. <laughs> yes, exactly. In my other life as a basketball coach. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nice. Well, Growing Young describes these six core commitments that the churches that you've studied, they hold common. Would you take a few minutes and, and kind of go through those six core commitments as well as maybe start to unpack them? So as I mentioned, as I was sitting on my blue couch, I felt led to study amazing churches. And so uh, we got a grant from the Lilly Endowment that allowed us to study over 250 diverse churches nationwide. And the typical church in the U.S. is shrinking or aging. Um, and so we wanted to study churches that were beating those odds, that were growing and engaging young people, and so we called them churches that are growing young. And so we spent over um, 10,000 hours, did 10,000, collected 10,000 pages of data, did over 1,000 interviews, did site visits at churches, again, diverse churches all across the U.S., to try to figure out, you know, what do these 250 churches have in common? And we were able to identify the six core commitments um, that seem to help them be so effective with young people. And so, you know, I'll just start by talking about the first one. Um, the first one is the type of leadership that they offer. And as much as I love leadership, I read about leadership for fun, part of me didn't want the growing young process to start with leadership. Part of me wanted it to be kind of a bottom-up, grassroots, priesthood of all believers um, change. But what we saw is that that wasn't the case and that it really was about leadership, um, but a different kind of leadership than we might think. I think we're often prone to believe the lie that in order to be effective with young people, um, we have to be hip or cool or maybe even young. And sure, we saw leaders that fit those categories, um, but that was by no means the majority uh, of leaders in our study. In fact, Again, there are leaders who fit those categories, but some of the leaders who became our favorite that we talked about more than any other as we were going through research notes would be the first to say they're not young, they're not hip, they're not cool, but they're what we came to call keychain leaders, um, leaders who understand keys of influence they have, meaning uh, capacity, access, um, opportunities that they are quick to hand over to all people in their church, not just young people but are particularly quick to hand over to young people um, so that young people really feel like their passions and skills and ideas matter and are being used in their church. So, um, you know, of the six core commitments, the one where most commonly started in church was in leadership. But like I said, different kind of leadership. Um, it was about a, a keychain leader, not a, not a funny leader, a dynamic leader, um, some of those myths that we tend to believe about leadership with young people. And then you go on, and we're talking about the the book Growing Young, which again, we want to um, emphasize that if you're listening to this, you need to pick up this book. It is, it is, in my opinion, the best resource out there when we're talking about engaging not just students and youth workers, but the entire congregation in the process of of really understanding who students are and engaging them right away. And the, the term keychain leadership 
just in itself, it's a, it's a great soundbite phrase to use because it does feel like describe well what you're talking about. Talk about emphasizing with today's young people because you go on. That's yeah. one of the other commitments. Yeah, and that was the second one. So you know, it starts. It started with um, keychain leadership, and then uh, we quickly saw the, how important it was for a church to empathize with young people, to really journey with young people. Um, and the churches that we studied were affected with 15 to 29 year olds. So that was the age group that we looked at. And you know, young people, both teenagers and young adults, they're so often judged in in our culture, and quite honestly, in our churches today. Um, we make jokes about them. We, um, you know, we we criticize them as being entitled. And you know, there's there's perhaps some truth there. But what these churches did is they really understood that this generation is different than previous generations, even in in their time frame. This generation, you know, especially young adults, the, uh, census data is showing they are getting married five years later. They're having babies five years later. They're becoming financially independent five years later. Um, there's just some really significant shifts in the time frame of some of the typical markers that we've come to think of as being corners that young people turn when they become adults. Those are happening later these days. And what churches that are effective with young people do is they don't judge young people because of that, but instead they're very quick to journey with young people to talk with them about how they're feeling about some of the perhaps delays in things that they thought would come quicker to them in terms of job and and financial stability, et cetera, and are, are recognizing that it's just so important to journey with young people. Then you get into taking Jesus' message seriously— and you you get into moralistic therapeutic deism, and I think yeah. it'd be good to have you define for us if if they're not familiar with what that means, what that's about, as well as I'm interested in hearing you talk about evangelism as well. Yeah, I'd be happy to. So this was encouraging. Is that the third core commitment was that these churches were not theologically wimpy, like they were very passionate about um, Jesus's message, but what they did well which sometimes churches don't do well, is that they very much understood that the difference between Christianity and Jesus. Um, in fact, I've, I mentioned we did over a thousand interviews, and probably one of my favorite interviews, or at least the one that convicted me the most, was um, we were interviewing a young woman. She was in her uh, 20s, and eight Fuller faculty helped create this survey. I was one of them. You know, We carefully tried to vet these questions. And the question that we asked was, how would you define um, Christianity? And this young woman, she said, well, you know what? It's kind of hard for me to define Christianity. Instead of defining Christianity, can I tell you who Jesus is and what Jesus has meant in my life? I mean, that was this young woman's drop the mic moment. We were like, yeah, oh gosh, you could talk about Jesus, you know, if you want. It's kind of a classic example of how Young people, they're, they're riveted to Jesus. Christianity can sometimes be awkward or confusing, but Jesus, the real teachings of Jesus, the real life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, I mean, that is compelling. Um, and and these, these churches were so good at peeling away the layers of Christianity that often interfere with our ability to really understand Jesus, and they just kept pointing young people to Jesus. Now, what's fascinating in that is that these churches also very much challenged young people, um, and, and young people liked being challenged. So as they heard about the life that Jesus was inviting them to, many young people said that was one of their favorite things about the church, was how the church challenged them. So 
you know, we're not saying offering a, you know, a, a cuddly, warm Jesus. We're saying a Jesus who, yes, is the Emmanuel, but also the Jesus who invites them to live and serve and obey radically. The evangelism conversation is something that has been curious to me lately. We, this summer at NTS camp, we do events all over the country, and we talk to students about sharing their faith verbally and what that means today. And I'm wondering what you think. I, I really went in and, and changed my perception this summer because I went in this summer with the perception that students and youth workers and their uh, interest in sharing their faith has was really not just on the decline, but maybe had died and there wasn't interest. And I think my, uh, yeah. my personal opinion was that I think a lot of it has to do with quote-unquote old wineskins, that a lot of the old methods of how maybe yeah. some of us listening were raised to share is different. And we definitely found that to be the case. What are you, what are you sensing when it comes to students sharing their faith? That's a great image, the wineskin image. I think it's really accurate, because what we found is that students definitely wanted to share about their faith and wanted to have opportunities for their friends to share about their faith, but it different strategies than maybe we've we've used in previous decades of youth ministry. So it's less about an event and it's more about a discussion. So it's often less, hey, come to the church and more, no, we just want to have a conversation over coffee or we want to serve together and then process what that means through the perspective of scripture and Jesus's teachings. So evangelism is alive and well. It just tends to be less programmatic and more about process and more about discussion and more about being honest about the tough questions of Christianity. And, you know, we saw this both in Sticky Faith and Growing Young, just how important it is. And these churches did this so well, gave young people the opportunity to ask hard questions. You know, many of them were, were gathering young people and just saying, ask us your toughest questions about Jesus, why Jesus would allow certain things, why suffering exists, et cetera. And, and making a safe place for, followers of Jesus, as well as those who aren't yet following Jesus, to ask those questions. And sometimes they met in creative places. A couple churches were meeting in bars for young adults, you know, those over 21, and they, they one of them even called it theology on tap. Like, we're going to have theology, and we're going to have it, have that discussion in an environment that works for people who might not walk into a church. Um, and, you know, that might be a little radical for some folks, and I'm not saying every church should have small group in bars. Um, but I'm hmm. saying, you know, how do we think about our environment and, and what kind of environment is most conducive to having the best possible discussion on, um, on some of those tough questions? One of your core commitments is feeling a warm community, kind of what you're yeah. talking about a little bit, providing more of a close, authentic community and not yeah. just relying on programs. The programs, I think in the book, you mentioned that the programs alone aren't going to foster close relationships. And so you found that the young people were describing their churches as uh, welcoming, accepting, hospitable, caring, and you use the term warmth cluster. And so yeah. how do you as a church provide that when you are there for a program? No, I'm glad you asked that. Um, and that was the fourth core commitment is it had to do with the overall relational climate in the church. Um, when we ask young people, what do you love most about their church? the most common answer was that it's like family. That's what they loved. They, they weren't talking about you know, the church's worship style. They weren't talking about the coffee the church served. Not that those things are unimportant, 
But what they cared about most was that it was like family. As we coded for words, we actually came up with, as you said, a warmth cluster, as young people would describe their church as hospitable, welcoming, friendly, I can be myself, authentic, etc. And so out of out of that research, we developed a new phrase, which is uh, that warm is the new cool. And, you know, a lot of times we're trying to figure out maybe how to be cool to young people and cool programs. Um, aren't what necessarily are, are the best magnets for young people. The best magnets for young people is a warm relationship. So we saw that in spades when we uh, visited a church in Pennsylvania, one of the churches growing young. And before we went, we, we conducted interviews, and we kept hearing people at the church talk about um, how much they loved this man who we'll call uh, Bill, and how Bill was so friendly, and how Bill would show up at their games and take them out to coffee at work, et cetera, and that Bill was one of their favorite things about their church. So we thought, oh my gosh, we've got to meet Bill. Well, we show up at the church, and it turns out Bill is in his 70s, Mm. Um, and Bill is someone who, when when he was a young person, nobody was showing up at his games. Nobody was taking him out to coffee. And so he's made it his vow that that's not going to happen at at their church in Pennsylvania. And so not only is he showing up um, at, at games and at workplaces. He's recruiting other adults, often senior adults, to do so. Um, and so, you know, we just love, we love the idea of Bill. And Bill would be the first person to say, look, I'm not particularly cool, but he's warm. And that is what young people were flocking to. One of my favorite volunteer recruits of all time as a youth pastor was a guy named Tom Reddington. He was 78 years old at the time. He was a World War II pilot. And he said, I want to serve and he said, give me the toughest group you got. And I said, freshman guys, there you go. But they just absolutely loved him. And I yep. think you're, you're right on. That's amazing. Now, number five of your core commitments is prioritizing young people. And you talked about how churches that grow young are willing to make young people a priority, not just in their words, but in daily reality. And And we've talked about this on this podcast before, but Give us some examples. I think it's so powerful. And if churches out there listening to this, it's a lot of youth workers, but as they're trying to relay this or engage their senior leadership at a church in the in the concept of growing young, this one seems to be really key. So talk about what it means to prioritize young people. Uh, well, first off, young people can tell when they're being prioritized. So a lot of times we use rhetoric to talk about how much we value young people. But if that doesn't translate into reality, young people can tell that they're not really that important. And what was interesting is, I mean, some of the churches, the young people could pinpoint, like, it was at that prayer meeting that everything changed. Um, I mean, that's that's how clear it became to them, that they could identify, like, those liminal moments where all of a sudden their church started treating them differently. And, and you know, these churches, they had all different size budgets, all different size churches. I mean, some of these churches were under... 200 to over 10,000. Some of them were under five years old. Some of them were over 100 years old. But in the midst of whatever size budget they had, they disproportionately prioritized young people. So they gave young people a greater slice of the pie of the time, energy, resources, and just overall thought a, a church might have. So, I mean, one of the things that I'm telling my own church in Pasadena out of this research is I would just love if one of the top five questions that we asked ourselves as we were getting ready for Advent, as we were thinking about small groups, as we were thinking about summer short-term missions, whatever it is, one of the top five questions is, how does this relate to what God is doing in and through our young people? 
um, that our young people are just constantly on our minds. And, and it doesn't even have to be the number one question, but just somewhere in the top five. Uh, and, you know, I, earlier I mentioned that these churches gave young people a disproportionate piece of the pie. And what was fascinating is that, you know, as young people got a bigger piece of the pie, I went into the research assuming, well, then somebody's going to get a smaller piece of the pie. I mean, that just makes sense, right? If you give, if you give one area, say young people, uh, more energy, thought, resources, time, et cetera, then, then somebody's going to get less. Women's ministry, a senior adult ministry, whatever. But that's not what we found. We found that when young people got a bigger slice of the pie, um, pastor after pastor, leader after leader to- told us that it was like the whole pie grew. Everybody benefited. Nobody got shortchanged because prioritizing young people brings new energy, vitality, excitement um, that the whole church benefited from. And the final core commitment that you have in the book is be the best neighbor, right? Yeah. And yeah. that's the the dance between uh, scriptural commands for holiness and as well as loving our neighbors well. And yeah. could you speak into that? And especially for young people going, they might compromise on the scriptural commands in order to love their neighbors well, and to accept them, to show that they love them. And so can you kind of discuss that topic of how yeah. to do that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You're right. That was our sixth core commitment. And um, you know, what we found is that we thought the churches that are growing young were doing a good job neighboring well and being engaged in their community. And while that was true, uh, when we went and talked to the young people at these churches and asked, what do you wish was different? Even though we thought they were doing a good job, the young people said, we want to be even more engaged. Whether it was, you know, involved in local uh, ministry with people who are homeless to more global ministry related to sex trafficking, um, immigration questions, refugee questions, whatever it might be. Young people just wanted to be even more engaged than their already amazing churches were. And, you know, as to your question, in the midst of neighbor, I mean, they, they understood Jesus's posture toward neighbor, which Jesus radically redefined who our neighbor is in the parable of the Good Samaritan, that everybody is our neighbor. Um, and Jesus did not take a condemnatory stand toward people who were outside of the church for the most part. Um, you know, he, he met them with love and acceptance and grace. And so that was the posture of these churches. How do we, how do we truly love our neighborhood? How do we reflect our neighborhood um, in our upfront leadership and the programs that we offer? How do we listen to our neighbors to make sure that, you know, we're really doing and serving in ways that our community needs? So those were some of the ways that churches were engaged in culture and neighboring well. We've been talking about the book Growing Young with Kara Powell. Again, hit pause right now if you have to. Go online, pick this book up, go to a bookstore. It's, it's worth it. It's incredible. So, Kara, oh, let's... Im- thank you. Yeah, let's imagine you're in a room with 10,000 senior pastors. Uh-huh. What would you say to them on behalf of youth ministry and students and what they can do to be a church that's growing young? You know, I think sometimes we don't... We don't know what to do with the energy of young people, and so we might view young people as perhaps our church's greatest problem, and I don't think young people are our church's greatest problem. I think young people are a church's greatest solution, that the energy, creativity, passion, innovation of young people, I mean, what we saw in these churches is it unleashed these churches to step into new arenas that, again, benefited all generations. So, you know, what I would say is... Think about these six core commitments, and we have a growing young assessment tool 
to help any senior leader, any youth pastor, any church figure out how they're doing in these six core commitments and how they can be doing even better. Because we realize that, you know, it's hard for me to change six things in my life, let alone for church to change six things. That's a lot of things to change. And so if folks want to go to churchesgrowingyoung.com, that's our website where they can find out more about our assessment. Um, And in five, ten minutes as individuals, or they can have their whole church take it, they can get a pulse on how are they doing these six, where are they where are they excelling, where are they struggling, and then we also give some suggested next steps based on how a church scores. So that's what I would encourage a senior leader to do is check out the website and figure out how they can move forward. One final question that we have is the the practical step for a, a youth leader, a church leader, pastor, a youth pastor. What can they take as that next step to help their church grow young? Well, in addition to checking out our website, um, churchesgrowingyoung.com, and looking into the assessment, I mean, and what I said was that you know, we, for most churches, it started with keychain leadership. And so I would say, you know, I would invite any leader to look around and figure out how, how are we doing at handing keys over to young people? And who are young people who are ready for a next key that can help them and help our whole church make even more progress? So I would say, you know, for leaders to think about what are the keys of, of power and access they can offer to young people um, to help young people take a step forward in, in really loving the church, serving the church, and being part of not just the church's present, but the church's future also. Just one additional question, just for fun. Yeah. What, what are you working on for the future? Yeah, great question. So, you know, we're, we're kind of an R&D think tank in that we, you know, while we were publicly talking about sticky faith, we were behind the scenes doing growing young research. And now we're doing the same thing. We're publicly talking about growing young and we're behind the scenes doing some new research. We've gotten some grants from the Lilly Endowment um, that are actually allowing us to do some innovative youth ministry and young adult projects. So a lot of our research up to now has been studying exemplars, which is fantastic a great way to learn a lot, but now we are also trying to launch new experiments and figure out some new fresh ways to help young people uh, discover God's answers to their questions of identity, belonging, and purpose. So stay tuned because we're doing a couple years worth of experiments and we are eager to share about what we learn uh, when we're done with it all. So, Kara, thanks so much for um, your time today and joining us and we hope people really not just listen, but further engage by going to the website and getting the book because it really is an incredible tool. Yeah, there's so much more in the book that goes beyond what just Kara has mentioned, and and she kind of wet the palate. But there's a lot of a lot of research that you can dig into, and and we love research. Yeah. Ah, thank you. I did too. And <laughs> and yeah, thanks for your support. And uh, I I'm so glad to have this chance to talk to you and and learn more about your heart and missions through Never the Same and. Um, look forward to continuing to partner. So when does the basketball season begin? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> you should probably find that out. <laughs> You're going to have to some- talk to somebody else other than me. So, oh. This interview is worth All right. Well, take care. It's really good talking <laughs> Thank you to so very much, Kara. Appreciate it. All right. Okay. Talk Got to you it. later. Bye. The Thought Factory podcast is brought to you by Never the Same, whose vision is to see new generations transformed in Christ to further the kingdom of God. Learn more at neverthesame.org.